Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Well, good to see you guys. We have been in a series called All the Feels, and uh, we started the first week uh, of the series. We talked about uh, starting with talking about feelings and talking about emotions. And the first week we talked about how emotions are like a dashboard. Uh, emotions are uh, basically like your the lights that come on, on on your dashboard, and they're a signal of something that's going on underneath the hood, right? Uh, we get upset, and we try to fix the signal. Um, we try to pull out the fuse. We try to, you know, turn the light off. Uh, but that's not the real problem, right? The real problem is what's going on under the hood. And so uh, we've been talking about that. And uh, last week we talked about this uh, idea that love, love's not really an emotion. Uh, actually, biblically, when we look at what love is, love is a choice that is made. Uh, because we can say we fall in love, we can fall out of love, but biblically, uh, what we're shown, the model of love, is love is a choice. Love goes beyond feelings. That love actually is chosen even when I don't feel it. Uh, and so uh, sometimes when we look at our relationships and we look at our parenting, we look at our marriages, and we think, you know, uh, maybe I just don't feel it right now, but but that's what love is. Love is that choice to go beyond the feeling. Love is that choice to love anyways and, and be there and stick it out uh, even when I'm not feeling it. And so we talked about that last week, that uh, love's not really the emotion, but that love is a choice. And this week we want to continue on in uh, the series, and we're going to go to the book of Genesis. So if you got your Bible, let's go to the book of Genesis this morning. Genesis chapter 3 is where we're headed, Genesis chapter 3. Um, and you go to the table of contents and turn right, and it should just be a few pages over. Uh, Genesis chapter 3. Now, um, how many of you ever heard of a guy named Arthur Conan Doyle? Any Anybody? Okay, there's a few of us. Uh, anybody ever heard of Sherlock Holmes? Okay, this is the guy who wrote Sherlock Holmes, right? All right, so uh, apparently uh, he was, uh, not Sherlock Holmes, but Arthur uh, Conan Doyle, he was quite a practical joker, and so he would always like to pull tricks on his friends, and uh, he had 12 friends that he decided he was going to play uh, a joke on, and he sent them a very short note uh, to 12 of these friends, and this is what it said. It said, fly at once, all is discovered. And by the next morning, all 12 of those friends had fled the country. <sighs> so you wonder, what is it that they were hiding? What is it that they were fleeing from? Uh, and the fact is that sometimes we do the same thing, that we have things that we're hiding, or maybe we find ourselves hiding just totally from, from certain aspects of life or things that maybe we don't want to acknowledge or uh, look at that, that may be difficult. This morning, we're going to look at this passage in Genesis starting off, and um, so let's go to Genesis 3, verse 6 and 8 is where we're going to start. This is what it says in verse 6. And so the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired 
to make one wise or to succeed. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now, guys, listen, we, we can't just say, look, the, the women got us all into this, and Eve got us all into this. Nope. Adam was right there with her. It was a couple's decision. All right. So uh, there you go. Um, she took the fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man said to his, or the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. I want to stop right there. So this story, it may be very familiar to you. Uh, if you've been around church a long time, even if you haven't been around church, you, you may have be somewhat acquainted with the story of Adam and Eve that uh, God creates everything, that God creates the planet, God creates the, the universe, the stars, and the just the heavenly realm, and everything that you see, God goes through Genesis chapter 1, and he's creating. He's speaking things into existence, and what does God do after he creates this? He looks at everything, and he says, wow, hey, this is good. This is good, you know, and then he creates people. He creates Adam and Eve, and he looks at them, and what does he say? He doesn't just say, hey, this is good. He says, oh, hey, this is very good, very good. So this is God's initial reaction to us. This is God's initial feelings about people, and sometimes we don't always get that, right? Uh, Sometimes we don't always think that about God, that God likes us. Uh, especially it depends on maybe, you know, what our life has been wrapped up in, if you have maybe made some bad choices in life. Anybody ever made a bad choice? I've made some bad. I've made a bunch of bad choices, you know. Uh, you know, when I, I grew out my hair into, you know, a mullet and, you know, had it spiked up on top, you know. And was, uh, that I remember. Anybody remember that from the 80s, right? Some of y'all remember that from the 80s, right? Some of y'all have that now. Who knows? <laughs> you know, we're just going back to Joe Dirt era. Uh, but... But this, 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 this idea that, you know, we, we make bad choices sometimes. And because we make bad decisions and bad choices, we start feeling a certain way about our choices. And uh, what that leads to is guilt. And actually, what I want to talk to you about today is this idea of guilt and shame, actually more shame than guilt. And it's not, I made the joke last week, I was going to shame you this week. This is not to shame you this week. I pray to God nobody is feeling shame this week that actually we're being released from shame. But there is a different, excuse me, I'm going through puberty it sounds like. I'm a 13-year-old boy once again. All right, let's try this one more time. <laughs> there is a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt uh, is, it says, I've made a bad choice. That's what guilt says. Guilt says, I've made a bad decision, I've made a bad choice, and you feel guilty about what you've done. What shame is, shame is worse in in a sense. Shame says, I am bad. Not just that I made a bad choice, I am a bad person. Uh, It's not just that I did something bad. It's Shame says, I am something bad. And so this is where we pick up in this story of Adam and Eve is that once that they have partaken of this fruit, 
they move from guilt to being guilty of doing something bad to seeing themselves in a very different way to the point that God hasn't said anything to them since they've, they took of the fruit and, and ate of the fruit and they hid themselves. There was not this conversation with God that God said, yeah, you're just really screwed up person now. That's not what happened that they began to internalize this in themselves, that they began to think this about themselves. Actually, they began to believe the lie of the serpent, that the serpent said, basically, God's holding out on you. He's keeping something from you. There's more to this. And so if you just go do what God told you not to do, you can actually get something that God's trying to hold back from you. And that was a lie. It was a lie because when they disobeyed, their eyes were open. And they were open in a way that they actually didn't expect. So they actually got what they didn't expect to get. Uh, and, 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 and so their eyes were open and they realized that they were naked and they began to immediately try to cover themselves. Now, we kind of fall into this too. And it's like maybe you've never been naked trying to hide in the bushes. Hopefully not. Uh, but that we've had this experience of trying to pull back and pull away when we feel like we're not like everybody else now, when we feel like something has changed and something's different about us. And so not only have we done something that we shouldn't have done, now we are broken and we're bad. And, and, and that's when we begin to pull away. And that's what shame is. Shame says, I am something bad. Shame says, I am a bad person. Shame says, I am defective and I am gross. Shame says, I should be avoided and rejected by others. Shame is an unwanted identity that isolates you. That's what shame is. When you begin to feel this way, when you begin to feel shame, you begin to push back and push away from people and step away from relationships and step away from, uh, from maybe groups and you say, I don't, you know, I'm not like you, I'm not like them. It, and maybe you're not verbalizing that, but that's the tape that gets played in your head. Because that's the lie that the serpent gave to Adam and Eve. <laughs> you're messed up now. God was holding back on you, and now you've done this thing. And so now you're defective. And so what does God do? God has to come begin to deal with this, and he has to begin to deal with Adam and Eve and their emotions. Now, remember that emotions are the dashboard. Can you put that, that engine light back up there? And, and many of you maybe have, how many of y'all have seen this in your car? How many of you ride around with it every day just blinking at you? Right? You know, it's like, it doesn't really mean anything. It's not a bad thing, you know? Uh, you know, the engine light can actually, it, it can have many different things that it's signaling. Uh, it could be as little as a gas cap that is loose, and that's that's what I found in my vehicle is that uh, that my gas cap uh, would being loose would actually bring the engine light on. I'm like, why would they do that, you know? And so you have to, uh, you know, go tighten down the gas cap. But it could be, it could be as simple as a gas cap being loose, or it could be that your engine block is cracked and you're just gushing oil everywhere and it looks like you've struck it rich, right? Uh, and you know that's going to cost you a lot of money. This, this is that, that the swing. It, it can be something very minor or it can be something super serious. And 
with the engine light, what you have to do is you have to get under the hood and see what's going on. And, and with shame, that's what it's, it's doing. It's signaling, hey, there's something going on here. We need to look under the hood. But what do we do? This is how shame affects us. Shame uh, left unchecked, this is what shame will do. Shame affects the body in, in these ways. Uh, it, it affects the body in increased body temperature. If you've ever felt shame, maybe you felt your body temperature rise. If you've ever felt shame, maybe you felt your heart rate increase and your heart just start to pound and start to, you know, if you've ever, anybody, you've been embarrassed, you know, you kind of felt that, you know, you felt your, your body temperature rise, your heart rate increase, your blood pressure increases, uh, uh, shame can actually make you change your body posture, whereas you begin to slump your shoulders and kind of hold your head down and look down. This was me all throughout high school, that I had this idea I wasn't as good as everyone else, and so I would walk and I wouldn't make eye contact, and I kind of had that posture about myself that I didn't, I couldn't interact with people. And so, and so it it can uh, increase the body temperature, heart rate, blood pressure. Uh, you, you change your body posture. You can develop, if, if you don't deal with this, you can develop insomnia. Uh, just staying up at night, waking up, and your brain starts turning, right? Well, well, you start thinking about stuff. You can't sleep. Uh, depression. It can manifest itself in depression where if left unchecked, you just get down deeper and deeper and deeper into these depressed places. Um, and you can actually begin to even have problems. They found you can have problems with your blood sugar and blood pressure can actually become affected by this. And, and so it's interesting it's, that it has all these bodily effects. Uh, but even beyond that, it has the effect of behaviors that we 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 have these behaviors that we get involved in, and, and what we see right here with Adam and Eve is one of them, and that's the first one is this, is there's isolating tendencies that you pull away, that you hide. Adam and Eve, that's what you see happening to them right here. What did they do? They immediately, when their eyes were open, they began to try to cover themselves, cover what they've done, and now not only have they tried to cover what they've done, now they want to pull away from the relationship that they have. They begin to pull away. Up until this point, they had been walking with God in the cool of the day. They had been enjoying fellowship and relationship with God the Father, that he would come and walk with them in the cool of the day. Now at this point, what you see in the story is now they're covering themselves. They're trying to cover their tracks and hide what they've done. And now they're hiding themselves. They're isolating themselves. So, so when you carry shame, it actually can result in you pushing away from relationships. It can actually result in you pushing away from groups and pushing people away because you feel like you're different. You feel like maybe you're broken or you're defective or there's something wrong with you. And so I can't be around anybody else. I, everybody else is better than me. Everybody else is, is more talented than me. Everybody else is prettier than me. Everybody else is whatever that is. It's you're always not enough to be in that group. Anybody ever experienced that? You know? I came through school experience. I never felt that I was enough. 
And my parents didn't put that on me. My parents love me. At some point, I began to believe a lie uh, throughout middle school and high school that something about me was defective and broken and I wasn't enough. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't, I wasn't enough to hang out with a certain group of people. And what I did is I pushed back and I isolated myself. Isolating tendencies are part of the behavior of shame. Self-criticism is also part of that, where you just begin to kind of internalize this. And you begin to look and you just, I, I can't believe you did this again. I can't, I can't believe you let this happen. And you begin to criticize yourself. Perfectionism is another way that you carry shame and, and shame manifests itself. It can manifest itself in, in this perfectionist sense where you have to do everything great. It's got to be perfect. It's got to be amazing. Everything's got to be on point. It's got to be with excellence. And if it's good, it's not good enough, right? I mean, you could be 95%. It's like, no, I, I can't believe it. You're, you're focusing on that 5% of how it could have been better. I can't believe it. And so perfectionism is a way that shame manifests itself. Pride is a way that shame actually masks itself. Sometimes shame will mask itself with pride. And you think people who are, they seem confident. It's actually uh, the opposite, that they may be carrying shame. And what they're doing is they're trying to play this part of pride. And they're trying to be confident. And they're acting a certain way to try to uh, maybe push the shame off on someone else. They project it to somebody else. And so maybe you'll see someone who bullies someone else. You'll see someone who will start trying to shame someone else because they don't want to deal with the own shame in their life. So they'll, they'll try to turn it on someone else so that maybe if I can make them look bad enough, I can look better. And that's what shame does. Shame manifests itself in this way. There was a guy by the name of Christian Piccolini who was a reformed neo-Nazi, and this is what he said. He said, the hate was really self-loathing. It wasn't me hating, uh, it, it, it was me hating other people because I was projecting my own pain onto them. And that's how it manifests itself into him. And so shame has a lot of different effects. And if we don't deal with shame, if you remember, we, we talked about it the first week, uh, Tony Evans, uh, he's a pastor, and he said it this way. He says, if you don't deal with your feelings, your feelings will wind up dealing with you. And so we have to deal with shame. We have to look at the engine light and say, okay, what is happening under the hood? What is going on under the hood? So what is going on under the hood with shame? And this is the thing that you have to know about shame. Shame is always fueled by a lie. Shame is always, always, always fueled by a lie. And that's what we find here in Genesis chapter 3, that the lie that the serpent gave them, they ran with that and they began to believe something. It wasn't that God had told them that, but they began to believe what the serpent had fed them. He began to believe the, the lie that the serpent had, had spun out there. And so shame is, is always fueled by a lie. Shame signals that there is a lie getting in the way of your true identity. What's your true identity? Who are you? It's not like you're Spider-Man now, all right? Peter Parker, you know, or Superman, Clark Kent, you know, what's your true identity? Who, who are you truly? Because usually it's not that we think that we're superheroes. We actually, a lot of times, will believe the opposite. We believe that we're no good. 
we're not good at all. We're, we're, we are trash. We are um, just rejected, and people should not even give us the time of day. But what we find is that God says in Genesis chapter 3, before we really see anything, he makes creation, and he says, creation is good. And he says, you are very good. So how does this get messed up? How does this get messed up in our minds? Let's go to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 is, a, is another uh, famous story. Maybe you've heard of this story, and you don't have to have been around church a lot to, to know this story. This is the story of the prodigal son. And Jesus tells this parable. He tells the story, and it's, the story I think we miss maybe a certain part of this. So that's kind of what I want us to, to look at. Just a few verses right here in chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. And this is what it says. And he said, there was a man who said, it was Jesus telling the story. There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. Basically, he says, I want to have my inheritance almost as if you had died, Dad. Uh, I want to get what's coming to me. So he's basically saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. And the younger said to the father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Bad choices, bad mistakes. He squandered his property in reckless living, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need, and so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. How, how hungry is that? How bad is that that you want to eat pig slop? Now, I've been around pigs. My, my grandfather used to, used to be a pig farmer, and I know what that's like. It's not a good smell, guys. It doesn't look good. It's not appetizing. And to be that hungry to eat pig slop, you're pretty bad off. But this guy, he was just like that. and said nobody would give him anything. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, maybe your, your translation says when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, and I perish with, here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, here we go, guilt right here, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. See that? That guilt. I've done something bad. I've done something bad. Dad, I have, I have messed up. I have made a big, big mistake. I have sinned against you. But he doesn't stop there. He goes, Father, it says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Right there. It moves from guilt to shame in about two seconds. And that's how fast it can move in our life. We can move from doing something bad to feeling that we are bad. I am defective. I am not right. I am, I am not good. And I love this story because what we see in this story is what Jesus is telling. He's, he's telling this story, and he always tells these stories because he's trying to tell people what the Father's like. He's always saying the kingdom of heaven is like, or uh, the, the kingdom of heaven is like this, or like this. And so when he's telling something, 
about uh, the parables he uses to, to try to reveal the heart of God. And in this parable, he reveals God's heart. So the prodigal is saying here, he basically says, I can't be who I was created to be, so I'll become something else. And that's it right there. Our society is filled with people who are not satisfied with what they were created to be. That we feel like we have to take and change the labels and put on another label and take on another identity when all the while we have a Heavenly Father that is saying, I created you special. I created you not just good, but I created you very good. And so the way I feel about you and the what I think about you is, is there's a strong, deep emotion there that's, that's connected with that and you're missing it. You're buying a lie. I can't be who I was created to be, so I'll become something else. How do you deal with shame? You deal with shame like this. First, first thing you have to do is this. You have to examine what you believe. You have to do an examination of what you believe. I, I'm looking in. And, and there's uh, authors call it, they say you have to name your shame. You have to identify it. What is that thing? When you look under the hood, what is that thing that is shaming you? What is that thing that is creating that in you? And you have to identify it and name it. The second thing you have to do is this. You have to realign your perspective and your path with truth. You have to realign your perspective, how you think. I have to realign my brain. That's what Romans 12 talks about. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that I begin to take truth and set truth before me. God, what do you say about me? I don't care what everybody else says about me. I don't care what the world says about me. I don't care what my so-called friends have said about me. God, what do you say about me? Who do you say that I am? And when I begin to look at this, I can begin to focus on what God's truth is. And I realign myself with God's perspective and God's path. So I name what the shame is. I, I examine what I am believing. I realign that with my path with truth and my perspective with truth. And the third thing is this, is to reconnect in relationship. Reconnect in relationship. First of all, reconnect in relationship to your father. This is what uh, Kristen Collins, it's a book that I've been reading about emotions. Uh, this is what she said in her book. She says, the only way to deal with shame is to expose it to empathy. The only way to deal with shame is to expose it to empathy. What is that? You have to create relationships. And that first means you have to establish and reestablish that relationship with your father. So what does Jesus' parable tell us? It, go, it says this, that the son says, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be called your son. He had rehearsed this, I'm sure, all the way home, all the way from that country that he had been living in. He walked that road, and all the way home, he's rehearsing this speech in his head. You've ever done that? You had to rehearse that speech of what you're going to say because you knew you messed up, and he's rehearsing the speech of how he's going to say it, what he's going to say, and he's, he's kind of seeing in his head kind of how his father's going to react, and he's just praying and hoping that maybe, maybe, maybe his dad will bring him on as a hired hand because he's really messed this situation up and so he's 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 doing this but his dad's not worried about that speech 
His father's not worried about the speech that the son is going to give because what the Bible says is this, is that when the father's looking, he is already looking for the son to come back. He's already looking for somebody to come home. He's already looking for the one who's been carrying this shame and has messed up and has carried this guilt. He's already looking to restore him. So he looks down the road and he's watching for his son. And when he sees his son, he just gets a glimmer. He doesn't need a whole lot. He just needs a little glimmer of his son walking down that road. And it says the father begins to run to the son he embraces the son and he picks him up and he grabs him this embrace and I can see the son in my head he's just be he's probably stammering trying to get out I've got this speech rehearsed I got to tell you and the dad's like I'm glad you're home I'm glad you're home you're home and he's like this is not who you are you are not one of my hired servants you are my son. See, guys, that's what you need to get in your head today because the enemy has tried to lie to you. The enemy has tried to beat you down with everything that maybe you have walked through, everything that you have done, every mistake that you have, you have, you have stepped in, every sin that you've been involved in, and the enemy has tried to beat you down that that's who you are. But the Father has got another word for you today. The Father has a truth for you today that you were created as his child. And you were created not as bad. You were created not even as good. You were created as very good. And that's how the Father sees you. The Father loves you not because you've done good works, but because you are His good work. You need to get that. You need to get that. Somebody in here this morning needs to get that. It's not because you've done a bunch of good stuff. We get in this habit of, well, maybe i got to do a bunch of good deeds. It's not about good deeds. It's about you first seeing that you're a child of the Father. It's about you first seeing that you have been created with an identity from God from the get-go, and he wants you to see that because if you see that, you will begin to experience life through sonship and not slavery. See, when you're a slave to something, you, you do whatever you're a slave to. But Jesus says you're not a slave anymore. You're a son with the identity of a son. And so when you know your identity, you can behave like how a son behaves. That's the thing about it. See, I, I'm, my name is, is Ryan Ogden, and I can, I can go to, you know, the Kidwell house. You know, if I go home to, to the Kidwells, now Adam works with me, and Adam would be very generous and let me sit in his recliner and his lazy boy and go to his refrigerator and pull out a glass of, of tea. Now, he's from Ohio. He probably drink, drink sweet tea, pop. You know, that's what, that's what Ohioans do. Drink. He'd probably let me pull out a pop, you know. And I can try to act like a Kidwell, but I'm not, right? It's much easier for me to go to my mama's house in Jessup. And I walk in the doors in Ogden, and I know that when I walk in that house, there's rights that I'm given just for the simple fact of who I am. And you know what? That's what the Father's saying to you today. Come home. You don't have to play the game anymore. You don't have to believe the lie anymore. You don't have to walk in slavery anymore. You're my child, and I want you to come home. And I want you to experience freedom.
Can somebody come play? See, this morning, the thing that I want the most is, and that's what, that's why I made the joke that we we're going to shame you today. I pray to God that you walk out of here this morning freed from shame. That is what I want. I want you walking out of here in liberty and in freedom because that's what the Father wants for you. That's what the Father created you for. You weren't created to be beat down. You weren't created for rejection. We sang that song a little while ago, and I love the song, and I'm sitting there singing it. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. And it gets to that point, I'm accepted, you know. I am accepted by the Father. And it's all these I am statements. And maybe that's what you need to do. You just need to go look at every place in the Bible what what Jesus says that you are and remind yourself of that truth and stop believing the serpent. Stop believing the enemy. Stop believing the lie because you weren't created for that. Stand with me this morning. I want us to sing this song and we're going to come back and we're going to pray and we'll end out. Love is on the moon when the 
miracles take place A cynical by faith Love is breaking through When the Father's in the room Jericho walls are quaking Strongholds now are shaking Love is breaking through When the Father's in the room Yeah, love is breaking through When the Father's in the room Ooh, lay your burdens down Ooh, here in the Father's house Check your shame at the door shame at the door cause it ain't welcome anymore Ooh, cause you're in the Father's house pray this with me Lord we come to you we bring every bit of who we are if it's good if it's bad if it's shame that we've been carrying around Lord we want to let that go and Lord we don't want to take shame home anymore we want to leave it at the foot of the cross today and so, Lord, that's what we're asking. That's what we're praying. Lord, that you would take this from us. That you would help us to see what we've really created to be, who we've really been created to be. Our true identity is found in you, Lord Jesus. So, Lord, as you tell the story of the Father opening his arm up, it's more than a story. It's a promise. The Father stands with his arms open to us, ready to receive us. And we pray that now. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us. Forgive us of the things that we have done. Forgive us of the sins that we have committed. Forgive us of the things that we have allowed to let happen. Forgive us now, I pray, because we carry around guilt. But Lord, even worse than that, we begin to believe the lie that because we've done things, it's made us, it's changed us. It's made us, Lord, that we're not lovable by you. But Lord, the truth is that there's nothing that can stop your love for us. And so as we come to you now, I pray, Father, that we just remind ourselves of that truth. We take that truth in. We replace the lie that we've been believing and we replace it with truth. And we realign our steps with your perspective and your path. And we reconnect in relationship. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.